0: Here at O Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Okay, great. So if we can please open up our Bibles, then together to the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 35. Exodus 35, as always, if you don't have a Bible, there's one for you already open at the right place. We're passionate about the Word of God here at Hatfield. So friends... Launch around the corner. We are in a series now that's finishing off a season that we're calling Move. And the reason is, the Dockside family has always, now for 25 years, planting campuses around the country and the world. Been passionate about this one thing. We want to raise up city changes. That's a fancy way of saying disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, that want to see the city transformed through their lives. Their marriages, their work, all these kinds of things. And this newest campus, we said there are four things that we want to specifically see happening over the next couple of years. And these are those four things. We said we want to be a community for the community. So, deeply committed to family, but going on mission together for the city. Secondly, and this is so important, especially in a city as deeply divided as Pretoria, we said that we want to be a multi ethnic and multi generational church. Thirdly, we said that we want to have a heart for the unchurched and the de churched, those who do not yet know Jesus. And fourthly, we said that in everything we do, we want to be passionate in our pursuits. Of God. And week in, week out in the series, we've been saying if you notice that, we can't make those things happen. It's impossible to slogan our way to that, to pip talk our way to becoming that kind of church. God has to do this in us. We can't move our way from the outside in, God will have to move us from the inside out. It's a spiritual work that He will have to do in us. And so over these five weeks up to the launch, we've been speaking about some really uncomfortable things. And I've been saying every week, listen, if you're new with us, if you're visiting, I know this feels a bit like insider talk. It feels like you're visiting your, you know, your friend's house and the dad announces around the dinner table, like, guys, it's, it's family You know, meeting, and we're speaking about difficult family stuff, and you're like, whoa, wrong evening to be at their house. I know this series feels like that, so just smile and wave, just be with us, it's all right. We're speaking about some things that we feel passionate about, because God will have to move this in us if we want to become that kind of church over the next couple of years. So we've been speaking about things like faith and the kind of relationship that we would have to have with God, but I want to say today, friends, today is that one. Uh, you know, the original Jurassic Park, I was in primary school when it came out. You know, when the park's power goes down, and a young Samuel L. Jackson, he's behind his console, he tries to restart the whole system, and he turns around just before he does that and he says, Hold on to your butts. That's what he says. And I want to tell you today, hold on to your butt, friend, because today we are asking God to move us in our finances and stewardship. And this is that one thing where most people in church squirm and get uncomfortable with and like, oh, not that. And I want to say that's nonsense. Because this was Jesus' go-to topic when he wanted to speak about people's hearts. To get to character, very often Jesus spoke about money. And here's my conviction. If we want to be a a multi-ethnic church, specifically, we will have to be a truly generous church people. So I'm starting a conversation today. Again, it's many years in the making, but it's a conversation we start today. And I hope that today you walk out, you're not burdened, but free. Because we're going to speak just from the Bible, and I'm trusting the the Spirit will just minister to you. So Exodus 35, God has rescued the 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 Israelites, his people from Egypt and through many, many ups and downs in the desert. He's teaching them what it means to be a set apart, a unique people of God. And now in Exodus 35, we get to this moment where God has commanded the Israelites through Moses to build this tent-like structure called the tabernacle. And in it, he is going to house his presence as they travel. So read with me verse four. Then Moses said, To the entire Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take up an offering among you for the Lord. Let everyone whose heart is willing bring this as the Lord's offering. And then it goes into a long section describing the architectural detail of this building. But for the sake of time today, we're going to skip that. Verse 20 Then the entire Israelite community left Moses' presence. And here's our verse, as with every week, crucial theme. Everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tents of meeting, for all its services and for the holy garments. Both men and women came, all who had willing hearts, brought brooches and earrings and rings and necklaces and all kinds of gold jewelry. Everyone who presented a presentation gift, offerings of gold to the Lord. Everyone who possessed blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, or fine leather, brought them. Everyone making an offering of silver or bronze brought it as a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who possessed acacia wood useful for any task in the work brought it. Everyone, every skilled woman spun yarn with her hands and brought it, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts were moved spun the goat hair by virtue of their skill." The leaders brought onyx and gemstones to mount on the ephod and breastpiece, as well as spice and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. So the Israelites brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts prompted them to bring something for the work of the Lord through Moses had commanded to be done very very dense and incredible piece of scripture and we could say so much from it today and I could have chosen so many others but I've chosen this one and it's not in the New Testament and that's on purpose because we don't live in the Old Testament friends but I want to show you that it doesn't matter where I think you go into the Bible I think you will get the same two themes when it comes to this thing called generosity how do I think and live generously with my finances it comes down to the same two themes in the Bible it's an issue of heart and an issue of habit. An issue of heart and an issue of habit. And here is the thing that I think the Bible teaches. The beautiful thing is that the the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it changes both of those things. The good news of Jesus changes both of those things, heart and habit. So let's look at both of those. We're going to spend most of our time on the first and kind of machine gun our way through the second. Let's look at the first thing. I think gospel generosity it moves us in heart. Gospel generosity moves us in heart. Why do we give? Friends, why? Why do we give generously to God's church, to what he's doing through the local church? Now, before we get to that answer, let me devil's advocate for a second here and give you two counterpoints. I think one reason, there are many, But one reason why we often don't give, especially young people in this regard, why they don't give to the local church or their local church, is because of hypocrisy and corruption in church leadership. I think that's one reason. So last year, there was this viral video of a televangelist in America, a very famous guy, who stood up and he made this video prompting his followers to say that, listen, I felt God saying that we should buy a new plane for me. He's got a couple of them, but he felt that he should buy a brand new Dassault Falcon 7X plane, which runs at about 793 million rand. Because that's the only way, apparently, that he can do ministry, is flying this plane, him and his wife. So that's an example of this. Coincidentally, in that same year, another televangelist, his nephew, came out saying that he was so guilt-ridden after years of ministering with his uncle that he felt both their ministry and their message in, in fact, not helping people was hurting people. And he couldn't live with himself anymore. And in his book, this is one thing that he writes. He says those years traveling with his uncle, it says it was a whirlwind tour of luxury. $25,000 a night, royal suites in Dubai. Tours of the Swiss Alps. Shopping sprees at Harrods in London. The pay was great. We flew on our own private golf stream and I got to buy custom suits. All I had to do was catch people and look spiritual. Coincidentally, his uncle in that same year, they raided 40 IRS agents, their officers, as part of a bigger investigation into some of these guys in America and very similar things last year started happening in South Africa as well. It seems that when there is corruption and hypocrisy in church leadership, you know what that does to our hearts? It hardens our hearts. It hardens our hearts to generosity. On the other side of the spectrum... I think very often some of the reasons why we give or we think we should give, it poisons our hearts. Let me give you a couple of reasons why I think most people think we should give as Christians or people outside the Christian church think why Christians give their money. One is guilt. People think, well, you know, God is angry. All Christians are guilty, and money solves both. So you've got all these things you're guilty of, and you do all these bad things, and if you give money, you kind of balance out the scales of all the bad stuff you've done. That's one reason. So guilt. Obligation is another one. So the church is like a glorified country club, and not to be like a second-rate member, you just have to give a bit of money every now and then. Otherwise, you're not like a good member of the church. The third reason is social standing. I can have a bigger voice around the table in the church if I'm a contributor, you know? I'm, I can be a leader in the church. I can, I can have a voice in the church if I give money. A fourth one that I think many Christians would not call it this, but I think so many live according to this principle, is karma. The principle of karma. What goes around, comes around. If I give, God will be good to me. He will be good to my children. We have good health. I'll be blessed. If I don't give, God's gonna He's gonna hurt me. Things are gonna go wrong in my life, my kids will get sick, I'll lose my job, and therefore I give. You see, what happens is when there's hypocrisy and corruption and leadership, that hardens your heart to generosity. But when I give out of guilt or obligation, it poisons my heart. And here's the thing that I see in the Bible: is that the gospel. Good news of Jesus changes your heart. It transforms your heart. It softens your heart. It renews your heart. It moves your heart from the inside out. That's what it does. Read with me here in verse 5. It says, Take up an offering among you for the Lord... And let everyone whose heart is what is willing bring his offering to the Lord. I find it amazing that in this specific moment where God is journeying with the Israelites in the Old Testament, I think this tabernacle is a big deal to him. And yet he still wants them to willingly contribute. And now verse 20, it says, then after God had spoken to them through Moses, it says the entire Israelite community, they left Moses' presence. So, God speaks through Moses, and then the people go away to now go and deliberate in their own hearts. Guys, can I say that if week in, week out, a leader or a person is turning the screws in your side emotionally? Are you giving? What's happening? Why are you not doing this? Guys, that's not generosity, that's obligation. The Israelites left his presence. Look at what happens. Verse 21 it says, Everyone whose heart was moved, and whose spirit prompted him, came and brought an offering to the Lord. Verse 22, both men and women came, all who had willing hearts, they brought, so the Israelites, just to nail that theme, they brought a what? A free will offering to the Lord. How did this happen? God happened in their hearts. If you ask me, why do we give? It's this simple. Giving is a response, a free will response to who God is. And more specifically for us as New Testament, if you are a a follower of Christ, it's this when I see what God has done through Jesus Christ, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, when I see the lavish grace, when I see the extravagant love that God has poured out on us in Jesus, the most natural response that I grow in day by day by day is to become more and more generous in my life. It's a response that I have to grace and love is to give more generously and generously. My heart is moved. Now let me give you, and again, I have to just keep on moving in the sermon. Let me give you one case study. I can give you so many of this effect and look at the order. It's not being nailed from the outside. You better, you have to, you know, turning the screw. Look at the effect. The order is I'm being struck by the grace of God, the love of God. That's becoming bigger in my life. And the effect is God. What else can I do but be generous? Let me give you a case study. Second Corinthians 8-9. Please go and read this if you want to get better language in your life. When Paul speaks of giving, he uses words like grace and love. So this is a church in Corinth. And Paul the Apostle, who had his life radically changed by Christ, he goes to them and he says, I want to take up a financial offering from this church because there's another church in Asia Minor that we want to go and help. They are in massive trouble. We want to bless them. And he's not beating around the bush. He says, guys, it's going to take money. It's that simple. The kingdom is not just all prayers and worship. It takes resources to do things. So he says, we need resources. But look at how he goes about it. Verse 9, he says this. For you, you Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that? He colors it in for them. He says, though he, Jesus, was rich, He was with God in perfect union. For your sake, he became poor. (laughs) He entered into the brokenness and the muck of man's existence. So that by his poverty, his death, you might become rich. You might find new life. You might become new. You might be restored. You might be washed clean. You might find true life. You might be commissioned By God, he says, that is grace. It's the unmerited favor of God in your life when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. He says, you Corinthians, you know that kind of grace. But listen to the verse before that. He connects that grace and he says this. He says, now you excel in many things as a church. I love this church, Paul says. He says, you excel in faith and speech and knowledge and diligence and love. And now he says, excel also then in this Acts of grace and he uses that phrase all throughout these two chapters to refer to this financial giving that he wants to take up he says if you understand the message of grace it will become an act of grace financially as well when Jesus grips your heart your grip on your wallet will become much lighter it's that simple Paul says, I don't have to guilt you. I don't have to, I don't have to stab you in the side. I don't have to stand up and do campaigns and beg and these guys, Jesus is so great. Let that just sink in once again. It will saturate your heart. It will lead to generous living once again. Why? Because corruption in leadership hardens, obligation poisons, but grace, it moves you. Grace. Love, extravagant truth, it moves you. And it doesn't just move you up there in the clouds esoterically, it moves you here. And a head and a heart thing becomes a hands thing. That is true faith, he says. We spoke about Titus 2.14 in our community groups this week. Me and Charles had a whole spirits, a discussion about it. But it says this, Titus 2.14 says, he gave himself. This is Jesus. This is the God-man Jesus. He says, he gave himself for us. That's extravagant, friends. This is God. God does not need us. He doesn't. And yet, he redeems us. He says, in Jesus, he gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness, to cleanse us, so that what? So that we would be an, a people eager to do good works. Eager, man, that's a strong word. When was the last time that you were eager, excited, passionate about financially sowing into the church? And I can stand here and do all the tricks and say, guys, we better be eager. Paul says, that's not, that's not how you get there. Now you get there, this thing needs to get into your heart. He gave himself. You know where eagerness comes from? It comes from there. And so I need to ask myself regularly this question. If, there, if eagerness has dried up, maybe I need to go back to my understanding and my growth in this thing. Jesus, how beautiful are you in my heart at the moment? <laughs> How deep is the depth of the cross and the resurrection and the truth in my heart at the moment? And if it's difficult for you, hey, welcome to the club, friends. The reason why Jesus spoke about finances, sex, and power so often is because those are like three mainframe cables to our hearts. He knows it. If there are three things that derail you in faith, it's money, sex, and power. So he speaks about it because he loves us. Those things are incredible tools in faith but they are things that flip you around like that. And so if you're sensitive, that's fine. But you know, think about this. I remember as a young lighty playing playing rugby, and before we had talks on, you would just play barefoot. And every now and then, just from a bit of wear and tear, you would get like these little cuts in the in the crevices of your toes, like the bendy bit of your toe, you would get like a cut in there. Ever had that? And then you would go to practice and you would step onto the grass. And oh my word, like the the blade of grass would go right into that little cut in your toe. Guys, hell have no fury like a blade of grass into that little. It was so painful. Like it was crazy. Now, do you agree that the answer to that intense sensitivity is not... Rid the world of all the grass, no grass for anyone. No, the planet must be you know stripped of all the grass because I've got this intense wound in my toe. Now, what's the answer? My toe, my wound has to be healed. That's the answer. <laughs> it's incredibly sensitive, but the answer is not get, get all the grass away. The answer is my toe has to heal. So, if I sit here every week, every time someone mentions money in the church in the healthy sense, and you like squirming and like, oh, money. Maybe the issue is not the money. Maybe the issue is the wound that God needs to heal in our hearts. Because Jesus doesn't mince words. Matthew 6, 24, he says, you cannot serve two masters since either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He says, yes, you can worship God And use money so effectively. You can be so great at making it, stewarding it, investing it. He gives us those skills. Guys, God has no issue with money. But he says, if you are going to try and worship both, it's done. If God frees us from the worship of money... We can come to a place where we can graciously, joyously, lovingly, extravagantly can give to the church. That is being moved in heart. Are we still alive? Breathing? Some of you have literally not taken a breath since this sermon has started. Okay. Secondly, but it's not just being moved in heart. It's being moved in habit, friends. I do not accept it when people say, yes, amen, I've never done this. No, you, then you have not been moved in heart. Show me your budget, show me your wallet, show me your calendar, show me your life, and I will show you your heart. I'm not saying this to hurt us today. I'm not saying this to give us, not, I'm not giving you a hiding. I'm trying to show us the dual work of heart and habit. It's a journey. It's not a destination, friends. This is the start of a conversation, but let me show you a habit. So let me answer some practical questions for us or try and and work from the Scriptures with some practicals. The first thing always that people will then ask is, okay, but how much? All right, that's fine. That's fine. I'm I'm getting there, but how much? That's my question. How much then should we give? What's the amount? That's my question. What's the amount that we should give to the church then? Now, go back to the Scripture with me, verse 23. This is very interesting for me. It says, everyone who possessed blue, purple, or scarlet yarn... Fine linen or goat hair or ram skins, or dyed red or fine leather, they brought them. Everyone making an offering of silver or bronze, they brought that. And everyone who possessed acacia wood, they brought that. And the leaders, they brought onyx and gemstones. <laughs> I find it so interesting that this passage does not at all try to figure out who has the most valuable stuff. They're like, guys, guys, I brought the gemstones. Everyone. Everyone ready? I brought the gemstones. God. They're like, oh, sorry, I just have acacia wood, guys. Sorry, that's what I... It's like no one cares. It's like you have been entrusted with this. That's your possession. You have been entrusted to that. What I'm saying to all of you is what? Bring it. That's what I'm saying. It's not trying to figure out who has the most valuable, who is comparison to. It's just saying whatever you have been entrusted with, whatever your possession is, bring it. Be faithful as a steward. You're not an owner. You are simply a steward because the question is what you have in your possession, are you being faithful with or are your possessions possessing you? That means I'm worshiping those things once again. <laughs> because here's the thing very often, the questions that I get, and I have my own heart, I'm not saying it as if I'm like the guru, my heart often asks me the same question. It quickly goes to the rands and the cents and the percentages. Okay, Joe, but what's the percentage? How can I be generous? Is it 11%? Is it 9%? Is it 11,1%? Is it before all my things have been, you know, is it before my my benefits have gone off? You know, when in the month? Is it this? You know, what about kids? And what about this? And can I say, those are valuable questions. Really, it's fine. If you ask those things from a good place, good conversations to have. But very often I think those questions mask other things. They are masking religiosity. (laughs) They are masking fear. It's almost like when, you know... (laughs) Some people will say, yeah, it's 10%, okay, 10%, that's fine. That's what I think the Bible says. Okay, but just know the other 90% is mine. I do with that 90% what I want, not a cent more will go to anyone. So I'll take that 10%, you know, 90% is mine. God has his thing, you know, church is happy, Joe's happy, but the 90% is... It's like, guys, where are we? Seriously, where are we now in this conversation? It's like, you know, you know can I move in with my girlfriend? Is that still sexual sin? How far can we go sexually? Is that still, you know, how, how often should I pray? How often should I read the Bible that it's fine? It's like, where, where are we? Seriously, how did we get here in the conversation now? It's like a husband coming to me. You know? I see Ephesians says, you know, I should give my life for my wife. You know, give up my life and, and, and love her like that. Like Jesus loved the church. So I just want to figure out, like, how much is that? Seriously, like, I don't want to do too much. So just tell me how much is like giving your life. Just like give me the percentage of... Guys, is that, is that the value? When the New Testament says be generous, now we're arguing about percentages and rents and cents. So, hear me. This is super crucial for this whole sermon. Just quickly, all eyes on me. I don't have the time to unpack this next thought. In the third term, we're going to do a whole sermon series on stewardship and finances. But, hear me today. And you can crucify me, that's fine. But I believe with absolute integrity that I have the majority, the bulk. Of church history and biblical scholarship on my side, when I say that I believe that New Testament Christians are not bound under a law that keeps them to 10%. That's what I believe. And I believe we are bending the Bible when we are forcing people into that. Now, okay, you with me? Now, very important, listen to me. The next sentence is very important. When you hear that, when I say, I don't think New Testament generosity is bound to 10%, what I'm saying is, yes, it might be less than that. It might also be much more than that. Did you hear that? (laughs) Think about it, friends. The principle is Jesus is lavishly and extravagantly loving with who he is with his own life. The Bible says, be extravagantly generous. So is that 10.1% or 9.2%? That's a pointless conversation. You know, I think of Robert Letonio. He was a guy, he died in 1969. Incredible businessman. One of the greatest businessmen of our generation. He had 300 patents to his name in the earth-moving equipment world. Great, great man of God. And for most of his life, he lived off of 10% of his income. Why? Because he gave 90% of his income to his local church. Now you tell me, when you go to that man, while he was still alive, and you tell him, no, you just, you just have to give 10%, you know what he would probably tell you? Don't box me in with your religious thinking. Because I want to be generous. I have friends like that. They give much more than 10% to their local churches. And if you tell them, no, it's only 10, then you're off the hook. They would say, you're boxing me in, my friend. I have a lavish God. And as far as we can make our finances work, we want to be lavish. So can I just say, if you are in a space where you are not at a place where you can make 10% work, maybe you've made some commitments, friends, and we're going to speak about stewardship. You've got too much house, too much car, too much school at the moment, too many things. That's a stewardship thing. We're going to get to that. I want to encourage you, start somewhere. Whether you are a student or a young adult, if you're not faithful with the first zero, you will never be faithful with any amount of zeros. I can tell you that now. The most faithful people that I know financially were faithful from the get-go. As students, they were faithful. They are still faithful. Just start. Start somewhere. Start with 2% and trust God to increase that as you go on. If you want to give much more than 10%, some of us know this, 10% is not even hurting you. It's not even touching what you've been entrusted with. And if 10% works for you, praise the Lord. Amen. Jesus, thank you. I love that. You know, Jack Ma, he's the richest man in China. He's the, he's the Alibaba chairman. The other day, too, a couple of weeks ago, he donated $14 million to the coronavirus vaccine. Thank you, Jesus, for people like that, right? And then, (laughs) a writer for Gizmodo magazine went and did the math. And he said for that man to donate $14 million is like the average American family giving $23 of their money away. Now, am I saying he should not have done that? No, of course not. Thank you for doing that. That's amazing, and it helps. But the point being... The amount is wow, for me it's like fourteen million dollars, that's amazing. But for him, it's actually nothing. Some of us have acacia wood, some of us have gemstones. We have all been entrusted with different salaries and skill sets and backgrounds and inheritances. And God is not saying, let's argue about the exact amount he is saying, I'm an extravagant God and I'm challenging you when you look to the cross, turn around, be faithful and be extravagantly generous. You know, Jesus, he calls his disciples together, Mark chapter 12, and they're sitting close to the temple. Now, again, this is, this is an Old Testament setting in a sense, because the temple doesn't exist anymore. But it says there, and listen to the language, Mark is being very cheeky here, because he says, many rich people were putting in large sums. (laughs) And it says then, then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. I mean, you can't make it more (laughs) obvious than that. And so Jesus pulls his disciples closer and he says to them this, they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty. And he says, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all of them. What is he saying? He's saying the amounts are irrelevant. It's all about the heart. If you ask me, how much should we give? Here's my one liner for you. If you want to write this down, if it helps, here it is. New Testament generosity is not bound to a specific amount or percentage. We are called to be radically generous. Two last thoughts. Where should we give? It says Exodus 35 verse 29. All the men and women whose hearts prompted them to bring something for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded to be done. So In the Israelite context, there was a leader. God said, guys, like it or not, Moses is the leader. I'm going to work through him. He's a fallen man, but that's our choice for now. Now, guess what? We are not in the Old Testament anymore. That season has passed. Now, Hebrews 1 says, God worked through and spoke through many different leaders and prophets, but now he speaks through whom? Once and for all. Through Jesus. We have one man now, one person. And what he says goes. What he values, we value. And when he sets the pace, we says, yes, Jesus. (laughs) Now, my question is, what does Jesus value? That's a very important question to ask. What does Jesus value? Because if I think about where I want my money to go, I should ask that question. Now, here's an example. Again, many of these, but here's just one. Ephesians 5.25 says this. Husbands, speaking about marriage... But he draws a comparison. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Guys, that is stunning language. It says Jesus literally gave himself for the church. He does not like the church, (laughs) he's not fond of the church. He literally gave himself for the church. It means that with the brokenness of the church, yes, I have been in the church now almost 11 years full time. I promise you there's a lot of things that's often wrong with the church because you and I are involved in it. (laughs) That's the reality. Jesus in person was God and man in one. He was divine, yet he got hungry and tired. The church is like that. It's a divine thing with nice human brokenness and messiness thrown in there, but it's God's choice. That means that when Jesus says, this is my bride, it means that you cannot be a Christian and say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I love Jesus, but I don't walk with the church. I like Jesus, but I, you know, I, I'm not part of a church. I'm sorry, you don't get that choice if he values it to the point where he gives his life for it. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. My question is, where's is the heart of Jesus? It's in his church. Where will my treasure then be? My treasures will be with the church. And I think that's a local thing. Guys, I love the church. I love the church of Pretoria. I love the global church. We are part of a much bigger body, but my question is: Where are we stationed? If you are in the army, in the South African army, if your superior asks you, "Where are you stationed?" You say, "No, I'm just part of the army." He's like, "No, you don't understand. I'm asking you, where are you stationed?" You're like, "No, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just the army. You know, I just love the army, South African army. It's such a great organization. You know, we're just everywhere at the same." like, son, you misunderstand me. Where are you taking responsibility? Where's your post? You can love the army, but where are you? I love the city and the church of Pretoria. I love the church of South Africa, and I love the global church. But in this season, I'm stationed in a church called Doxodo Hatfield, And therefore, I will pray for and support and give on top of whatever I can to support the churches of the city and the country and the world. But here is where my finances for us as a family. Here is where we give. Here is where we give. And so here's my statement. If you ask me, where do we give? This is what I think. The New Testament teaches. We firstly, faithfully, and consistently give to our local church. And then above and beyond that, of course, we sow into other needs. Of course. We are generous people. So my, one of my mentors as a student had a, had a giving item in his budget that every year we, we wrestle. What's generous, God? Help us to be generous people. And then he had a generosity item. Where can I pay for people's coffee? Where can I help a struggling family? Where can I just sow into a need? Where can I help a family member? We should be looking for things, but we see that as above and beyond. Yes, my local church is where I'm investing and I'm walking and I'm not just putting bricks down everywhere, I'm building together with. And then on top of that, I'm looking to sow into other pieces. Happiness? Last question. How should we give? Verse 21 says, everyone whose heart was moved, that's something that God did. He does that. But then it says, whose spirit prompted them, they brought an offering. Both men and women came, all who had willing hearts, they brought the brooches and the earrings and the rings and the necklaces. So here's the concept, so simple. God says, I am the one who initiates this in the hearts of my people. It's a grace work, but my responsibility on your side is simply this you have to bring it. The onus on you is to bring it. It's that simple. I'm the provider. I'm the one who moves. I'm the one who gave my son. I'm the one who initiates. Your responsibility as steward is to bring it. And so the concept is simply this, that you have to be a steward in a mature way, friends. And here's how we do it. Let me give an example. I think that everything in life that's important, that I think of in a mature sense, I have a system for. If you go overseas, you will not leave a single detail to chance. I know some of you guys. Some of the young adults, you're planning an overseas trip in two years' time. You've already planned. Every single detail to the T, you will not leave a single thing to chance. You will automate the important. Your retirement. Some of you guys, you are not thinking like every now and then, I wonder... If I remember, I'll pay a little something into my retirement annuity. No, you don't do that. You automate the important. What I'm saying is if the church is what Jesus says it is, I will automate the things that are important to me. Have a system. Our system is that once a year we sit with our budget and we say once again, God, what is generous, what's lavish, what is truly your heart, and then we have our percentage and we go for it. And we revisit it every year. And then we, we set a scheduled payment on F and B, and that thing goes off every month, and praise Jesus for that. But that's our system. My question to you, student, young adult, emptiness, wherever you find yourself. What's your system? Whether it's remind on your phone, you use cash, whether it's Snap scan, I don't care. That's not the point. Jesus says, we bring it. That's it. So here's my statement to you: How should we give? Maturity and seriousness with the value of gospel giving means we automate the importance of the system. I think that's a church that takes this value seriously. It's not about who has what. I don't want to know what you have and I don't care. <laughs> I want us to be a church that's truly generous because we serve a truly generous God. So let me end off. Our son, Benjamin, suffers from genetic hearing loss. And so for the rest of his life, he is going to struggle with his hearing. And something that a couple of years ago, he was maybe two or three, we saw um, he would always, whenever we asked him, you know, can we give you something to eat? Or he would come and ask, especially for some reason, I don't know why, but whenever he would ask for that and you would give it to him, immediately he would say, can I also take for my sister? And eventually with his younger sister, he'd also ask if he can give to one of them. And you know, I would always wrestle with that. I would just think, you know, I wonder what kind of man my young boy is gonna be one day. Will he be the kind of man who sees himself as someone who lives with a disability? Or will he be someone who sees himself as someone who lives from a place of abundance? I can be generous. Because I live from a place of abundance. Because my heavenly father has made me with great purpose. He's made me with someone with an amazing testament. And therefore I can live with an open hand. You know, I read that story in 2 Corinthians 8 of this church that Paul speaks of. And he says to them, you know, you guys, if you're going to read that story, you'll see that they were going through some very difficult things. In fact, it was this whole trial of drought." And this is what I want to leave you with. He says to that church, you think, yeah, but they had a lot of money. The Corinthian church were like probably stinking rich. (laughs) That's probably why they could give. Listen to what it says here. It says, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Friends, that is the kind of person that I want to be. That's the kind of son that I want to raise. That's the kind of church that I want us to be. God, yes, the economy. Yes, my work. Yes, my realities. But you are so good. We want to overflow in a wealth of generosity. So can we stand together? Every week, we've just had this Move statement of ours, and I don't want to read it at the beginning because I want to just leave it to the end. And I'm not going to have the band sing, we're not going to respond today. I'm literally just going to leave it today and just say, Holy Spirit, only you can do this. And so I want you just to have this in your heart. For some of us, I really think we need to go and have conversations with our spouses. Some of us need to go back and just say, Okay, God, what does this look like for me? What's my first step in the journey of generosity? And so here's our move statement for the week Jesus as your lavish grace continually transforms us, will you move us in contribution toward gospel-driven generosity and extravagant giving? Jesus, we pray that over this church and into the future, may you continually move us with your grace, with your gospel, with your truth, and may you move us to be people of joyful Extravagant and lavish giving because we believe in you and we believe in your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said,